right, we got AJ Ashton right back in. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time. So glad to be back, Tommy. So you go from you know managing Rodman, dealing with all these athletes, firemen, volunteer firemen. Congratulations. Thank you. Paramedic, and then you decide to go. Mm. I don't know somewhere where there's a full blown war going on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, while I'm not a paramedic, I do provide uh, a lot of uh, services and life-saving help for people. Um, I am a volunteer firefighter with the city implantation. I thought you were a paramedic. No. Was no. I asking you how you can become a paramedic? Yes. Yeah. So in plantation, we have paramedics who are career, and then we have uh, the firefighters who are um, volunteers. So it's separate. So how did this trip come about? Like, where, when did the idea start, and then how did it come into intuition? I really thought it was Dennis Rodman. I thought Dennis right. was like, AJ, hey. Uh, Sounds like something. You know, <laughs> not North Korea this time, but uh, I don't know. We're going to go into a war zone. <laughs> that is something he probably would love to do because <laughs> he's a little crazy. But what happened was in 2015, my really good friend, Michael Yavner, called me one day and he said, hey, um, the Jewish Federation of Broward is putting together a team of firefighters. They want to send them to Israel. Would you be interested? And it was, I remember the day so well. I was driving on I-95 and I, he just called me out of the blue and I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know if it cost any money or how it all worked. I said, absolutely, I want to do it. And from that moment uh, until October the 7th, I had been to Israel twice. Um, once when there were some problems in the south uh, along the Gaza border and then once when there were some issues in Jerusalem. So in uh, 2016 and 2017. And on the morning of October the 6th, I was walking, uh, heading out to my office, and I was about to make a post about Israel. I don't even know why, but something just said, you know what, I need to say something about Israel. I haven't posted about Israel in a long time. And I was going to post, I always stand with Israel. And I actually even queued up the post, and I was about to hit send, and my phone rang. So I got on the phone, and my day just kind of got off and running. And by 10 o'clock that night, I realized, oh my gosh, I never sent that post. So I was like, you know what? I'll just do it tomorrow. That was October the 6th. <laughs> okay. I woke up October the 7th, Saturday morning to about a hundred missed calls and missed texts from friends here in the United States who know I'm involved in Israel and friends I have in Israel, guys in the IDF, firefighters, just people who I know who live there. And they're trying to the text and calls were all telling me about a terrorist attack that had happened that morning. And when I first saw that, it, you know, I wasn't really that concerned because when I think of a terrorist attack in Israel, I'm thinking, OK, there was a stabbing or there was someone shooting at a bus stop. Oh, they or, consider that a terrorist attack. Yeah. Those Not are, like a those plane are, going into a yeah, building. Yeah, those, and... those are typical terrorist attacks. Okay. Or maybe there were some rockets fired out of Gaza. You know, I was thinking like, OK, what's the worst thing that could be? I'm like, maybe there was a bunch of rockets. Like, why is everybody calling me? So then I started like scrolling through. People were sending me pictures from their phones. Like they're there on scene sending me stuff. And I start scrolling through these pictures and I, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Israel is under attack. And I immediately uh, got on the phone with the Emergency Volunteers Project, which is the name of the organization that in 2015 got me involved in this. And we started talking that there was going to be a deployment. And within uh, 24 hours, the EVP had five American firefighters in Israel within 24 wow. hours. So this organization is amazing. It's an amazing organization. 
Wow. That's how it started. And is Israel, uh, if I'm mis- not mistaken, right, they, when we had the tower that fell down yes. south, they sent a bunch of their rescue team over to help out with that. They did. They sent some urban search and rescue um, IDF um, teams to assist. So they were on the ground within a matter of hours. And it was nice that we could return the favor and send people back to them within a matter of hours. We had uh, we had five firefighters on the ground within 24 hours. Now, when you were there before in Israel, what, what was it like? Like, give give everyone like, a, how would you describe Israel when you were there the other two times? So, the first time I went there, I based on what I knew about like the Intifada in the 80s, the Intifada in the 2000s, the terrorist attacks, the bombings, the rockets. The first time I went there in 2016, I thought it was going to be like war and fighting and just like hell all day, every day. And when I got there, you know, I was at the airport and I was a little nervous. I didn't know what to expect. The most beautiful airport I've ever seen made of stone with a beautiful like ramp that you have to go down and go up. Beautiful artwork. I get into the van that's taking me to Jerusalem and it's just this amazing country you see like vineyards and shops and cafes i'm like wait a minute where's the war where's all the fighting where's all the terrorism it was nothing and i was like okay this is this is kind of cool you know and it's not as bad as i thought it was going to be and there were a few reality checks like they found a bomb in a tunnel like that night the first night i was there and i was like oh okay what's this you know and there were there were no rocket attacks at that time but there were at that time there were a lot of stabbing attacks so the Palestinians were, they were, they were, so in, in the, in the eighties, they were doing like uh, a lot of the stone throwing in the two thousands, they started doing suicide bombing. And so by this time in like the mid teens of the two thousands, they were, they had gone to knives. They had tried to arm as many uh, Palestinian terrorists with, with knives. And they were just walking up to people and stabbing them. Just any, like, anybody, anybody, just bang, anybody. So this has been going on for a long time. That was time. going on for a long time. So. That was kind of the reality there. And I was honestly surprised that it was as calm and peaceful as it was. And it was it was incredible. It was an incredible trip. I fell in love with the country. Great food, amazing people. We were running calls in Jerusalem. We went to the um, the only 9-11 memorial in the world that has the names of all the victims inscribed on it. The only one in the world outside the United States is in Israel. It's in Jerusalem. <laughs> wow. So in 2016, when I was there, I actually got to go to the 9-11 memorial and I was part of the United States delegation. So there were uh, 10 firefighters and there were uh, some state troopers and then representatives from all of the airlines that were affected were there, United, American, uh, and U.S. Uh, was it U.S. Airways. U.S. Airways, I believe. They all had someone there and um, I was part of that ceremony. So I got to see uh, this memorial and it has the names of everyone inscribed in stone, chiseled into stone. And it was just the most, and it's on the top of a, uh, it's on the top of this huge hill, like almost like a mountain overlooking Jerusalem. And it, like the camera cannot capture how beautiful this memorial is. And when you think about like a true friend in the world, Israel really represents that and it really brought home to me how close of a relationship that we have with this country out, you know, 10,000 miles away that they would build this beautiful memorial for the most tragic terrorist attack we've ever had. And it's the most, it's the biggest attack we've ever had on us. soil outside of like the revolutionary war, the civil war, that kind of thing. So it was really something that brought home to me how 
great of a friend Israel is to the United States. Well, think about it. Out of all the other countries that we help, give money to, send troops to, God knows what else we do. Right. They're the only ones that send you back. know acknowledged. You know that. You know, shout out to them. I mean, what? Why aren't the other countries doing that? They're taking all our money. They're the only ones, and that that memorial was built by the uh, Jewish National Fund, which is an organization that mostly known for people can buy uh, and sponsor trees, like you can. You can donate money and they plant trees in Israel on your behalf. That's pretty That's what they're known for. But they built that memorial. They also built a playground for children in Sterot, which is uh, bombproof. So it's a it's a playground, but it has a it's a bomb shelter, but it's a playground for the kids. So the Jewish National Fund also built that. So there's a lot of amazing organizations here in the United States that helps Israel. A lot of private donations. They also uh, buy and equip the fire services with fire engines. So every fire engine I've ever been on, it has a JNF, Jewish National Fund logo, on the fire engine. So they're right? really involved in, in buying fire engines and ambulances and vehicles, trucks for the fire department. Now, so they're now, really involved with now that. Now, can you explain to people, you, you watch the news now, and you know there's a lot of different stuff hitting people at one time, right? You know, Israel's attacked, they, they fight back. You know, there's this pro-Palestinian or Hamas movement that you're starting to see with some people. And trying to make Israel look bad and wh why is there this fighting and why has there been this fighting over there what is I mean religion always seems to come down to a lot of fighting and land and and, and power and money but what in your this episode is brought to you by Fiji more than just water this is not just rock it's ancient volcanic rock that filters tropical rain giving it double the electrolytes and its signature soft smooth taste it's not just water, it's Fiji water. This episode is brought to you by Let's Get Checked. Are you the man your father was? Recent studies have shown that men's testosterone levels have dropped substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. Think about how old your father was when he was born. For example, if he was 30, your testosterone levels could be 30% lower than his. Low testosterone levels can have all type of health effects on men. It can affect your mood, sex drive, memory, muscle mass loss, you name it. And yes, low testosterone is more common the older you get, but it can affect men at any age. So let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in a discreet packaging with next day delivery. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. So if you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, Visit trylgc.com backslash mscsmedia and get 25% off your test using the code mscsmedia. The link is in the description at the top. Take, why is this happening? How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> so while the situation, people like to say it's very complicated, it's actually not that complicated at all. If you go back in time... Um, the Levant, which is the area where Israel is, is the natural place where the Israelites were, the Hebrews, that, that they were always in that region. There were times when, you know, there were slaves in Egypt, which so means they were a little bit further south and they kind of came back. And then they had the kingdom of Israel with King David, which is like the Bible times. And then Jesus was born in uh, Bethlehem, which is also in the Levant. So the 
the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews have always been in that area in and out of time. So over the millennia, like they've come and they've gone, they've come and they've gone, they've been in there, they haven't. That area has been controlled by a lot of different forces, a lot of different people. Um, most recently, uh, the Romans were the ones who changed the name from Judea, which is what it was called prior to the Romans. It was Israel, then it was Judea, then it became uh, Assyria, Palestine. They changed the name because the Jews were native to that area, and they changed the name to the Jews' biggest enemies as retribution for them having some uprisings against the Romans. Right. Okay, yeah. so they changed the name to like their worst enemy <laughs> yeah. as punishment. We're going to call this area what you hate the most yeah. as punishment for what you've done to us in these riots, and these uprisings. I got your back. Exactly. Yeah. So it became Assyria, Palestina, and then that eventually became Palestine when the Ottomans then took it over. The Turks uh, from the northeast and the Mediterranean, they took over the region like around then after World War One, when um, when uh, the Ottoman Empire collapsed. Then England took over the area. Then it was called the Palestine Mandate, which is what that area was called. And then in 1948, after World War II was won and the Axis powers won, that's when it became the state of Israel in 1948. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when that happened, the UN uh, gave an opportunity, because there were Arabs living there as well, but Arabs are native to Arabia, like the Arabian Peninsula, so like Saudi Arabia, Iraq, um, Iran, that whole area. Well, there are Persians in Iran, but the the United Nations knew that there were Arab Muslims living there. So what they did was they said, hey, we're going to create two different states. There's going to be an Israeli state. They wanted to have it, they wanted Jews to have somewhere to go since after World War II and the Holocaust. They felt like they needed a country and they wanted to give them back to their uh, cultural ancestral lands of Israel. And so they said, we're going to create two states. There's going to be a Jewish state and there's going to be an, a Muslim state, an Arab Muslim state. Can I just ask you a question? Do you think that that would ever work? God, I hope so. But I know I like just I like know. that thought, like when you when you describe like how this came about, you're having two, you know, opposites yes. at odds yes. in the same area. But you're basically kind of drawing a line. Right. You could stay here and saying stay this here. is yours. This is yours until somebody says, yeah. Now I'm going to take it. So this it's not uh, unprecedented. So uh, Pakistan and India used to be together and they had to split and it was a very bloody split when it happened. But now Pakistan and India are separate and they're while they're kind of still enemies, they kind of live together next next to each other. So that was the hope, I think, for what was happening in um, in Israel. They wanted to create an Arab state and an and a I Jewish see. state. Yeah, because that was the idea. We were talking about that last yeah. night because you know Pakistan and India—they're yes. not blowing each other they're up, not blowing but each they other don't up. like each they other. hate each other. Right. But they're not blowing each other, but they used Good to point. be together. And they said the Arabs go on one side, the Hindus on one side. They're going to create two countries. So that was, was the hope. That was the hope. They, yeah. Like, hey, maybe we can do this here. Gotcha. So they said, hey. So the reason why England, who controlled the area, the Palestine Mandate, Indi England wanted to sort of get out of there is because there was a lot of conflict. The Jews were fighting the Arabs and the Arabs were fighting the Jews. It was going back and forth. And, and England was kind of stuck in the middle, like, we need to get out of this. Uh, France had controlled the area and they warned England, like, you're not going to be able to, to you know, rationalize this area unless there's some permanent solution. So by 1948, they decide, hey, we're going to create two states, uh, a Jewish state and a Arab Muslim state. So they put together the maps and they said, here you go. This is what you're going to do. Israel said yes. The Arabs said no. Hmm. 
And that is the beginning of the conflict we have now. And interestingly, over the last 75 years, the Arab states have been offered, the Palestinians have been offered uh, four more times for their own state. And they've said no every time because they want all of it. They're like, we want all of it or or none of it. We're going to keep fighting Israel until they're gone. So that's kind of a very, very high level. We don't have enough time to get into all the gritty details, but that's a very high level a simplified, a simplified understandable understanding way. of why there's so much conflict there. The the Palestinian state that, well, Israel is occupying our land uh, and Israelis and Jews are like, no, we've always been here. And they try to say, well, yes, it used to be called, this area was called Palestine. But until the 1960s, even Jews referred to themselves as Palestinians. Is that right? Yes. And it's because that area was, remember, it was that area Syria, was, Palestine. Right. That's what it was called. So if you were Jewish and lived in that area, over time... You now called yourself a Palestinian. Until the 1960s, that's how it was. However, um, what happened was as the conflict continued to drive a wedge between both states, they no longer, the Jews no longer called themselves Palestinians. And then Palestinians who were located in Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, uh, Egypt, they are kind of like a stateless people. And then they also have some in Israel. So it's very, very, very complicated with their situation because the Gaza Strip, uh, this would be a great time to pull up that map. Yeah, the Gaza Strip, uh, which is in the south, uh, it's in like the... Yeah, he's getting out. Yeah, uh, but the, but I want to ask you, part they, of the country. they went by the model of Pakistan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Pakistan's, uh, what religion? They're Muslim? Pakistan are um, yes, the Pakistanis are Muslims I'm, and the and the Indians Indian. are Hindus. Hindu, okay, so not quite as much like conflict as I think as much. It, or you more. do, yeah, I okay. think as much as or more. There's a there's a there's another map. That's the map we need right there. There we go. <clears throat> so you can see the Gaza Strip there at the at the southern part of Israel. So that's part of the Palestinian Authority. No, it's it's up more uh, up 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 down. Follow the coast. Keep going down the coast. Keep going down the coast. There it is right there. Yeah, okay. Okay. So the Gaza Strip, in, and then you can see also that other yellow part. That's called the West Bank. Okay, so that is basically what the Palestinian Authority has control over. Okay. okay? So when you, people talk about Palestine, some people are saying Palestine is all of Israel. But in a more actual sense, Palestine represents the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. They're technically not a part of Israel. Israel is uh, Gaza Strip is not technically in Israel. So Egypt used to control the Gaza Strip, <laughs> and then there were some wars that were fought, and then Egypt lost um, the Sinai Peninsula. Then then Israel gave it back to them, but then they they kind of kept the Gaza Strip. And then in two thousand and five, Israel unilaterally pulled out of the Gaza Strip. They made fifty thousand Jews leave the Gaza Strip, leave their businesses, their orchards, all everything they had. And by the way, the Gaza Strip is about 25 miles wide by about, I think it's like uh, uh, 75 miles long. So it's, 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 a, it's a good little area. And all the Jews pulled out of there and they turned it over to the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian Authority is, is what controls Palestine, which is the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And then there were elections in 2006 and Hamas won the election in Gaza. Um, the Palestinian Authority, uh, the Fatah coalition, con- con- was supposed to be in control of the Palestinian Authority. And then there was like a civil war in Gaza. 
and Hamas killed or ran off all of the Palestinian Authority folks, so then they just took it over in 2006. And so they've been in control of it for about 16 years. Mm-hmm. They haven't had any elections. And Hamas, a, 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 um, a certified terrorist organization, is basically the government in Gaza, and that's when the rockets and things started, when, when, when they took over the Gaza. That's a, kind of a shitty 50-50. I mean, it's by looking situation. at it, it's kind of not really a good deal. No, it's a terrible situation. Right. And I know you just uh, described Hamas, but could you describe it a little bit more? Because I know when I hear it, you hear this, you hear that. What is Hamas? I know they're terrorists, but how did they come about to this level? So Hamas started in the uh, 1988, and basically they were formed as a militant um, wing within the Palestinians in Israel. There are other militant organizations. There's Islamic Jihad, which is more out of Egypt, but they have affiliations there, and they're all backed by Iran. So huh. Iran backs uh, Hamas. They back the uh, Islamic Jihad. Um, they back Hezbollah, in, in, which is in Lebanon. If you, if you can pull that map up again. Yep. So if you pull up that map to the north, Israel has uh, to deal with Lebanon, which is where Hezbollah is located. And, and how dangerous is Lebanon? Lebanon right now is like a failed state as well. So you can see up there, the green above the orange there. Okay, so that's Lebanon up there. That's Lebanon. So Lebanon is basically a failed state. So the Maronites, the Christian Arabs used to control Lebanon. Then there was a civil war and they lost it. And since that time, Lebanon has been in flux with many different um, groups kind of in charge. And it's basically like a, a failed state at this point. It's chaos. But Hezbollah is the main faction uh, iranian back faction and when That's i went it. to get my haircut there's this egypt guy he's from egypt okay. real nice guy he's always in there he hangs out there kind of like the barbershop thing and when this all happened he went nuts he he was like freaking out calling everybody what's egypt's role with this what is all that like he couldn't go back he could come there was all kinds of conflict in egypt due to this so egypt and israel have been under a peace pact for about 50 years and the united states helped to broker that many years ago when they had a war they started sharing intelligence with both sides and so egypt and israel have peace and uh, israel and jordan now have peace and they have been at war before as well so Israel has worked out a peace with its southern neighbors, but to the north, they still have problems with Syria and Lebanon. So Syria is right next to Lebanon, which is up there near the Golan Heights. They're Syria. So they have problems with those two, but they're at relative peace with Jordan and uh, Egypt, which is in the south. So Egypt used to control the Gaza Strip, but they lost control of it back to Israel when Israel gave up the Sinai Peninsula. And what's interesting is what most people never talk about is Egypt also has a border with the Gaza Strip, so they could take in some of right. these people. Mm-hmm. They could right. provide help. They could open up their borders, and they, they don't. They don't want them in their country. They don't and want them in their country. How do you feel about that? I think it's a security That's issue. A tough one. It's a right? security issue. Yeah. I think that they know that with the Palestinians, and they have a history of being like with the PLO many years ago, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which Yasser Arafat was in charge of for many years. Mm-hmm. They um, performed a tremendous number of terrorist activity all over the world. Um, the hijacking in Entebbe uh, in Africa, the Munich um, hostage situation during the Olympics, that was all the PLO. Is there is there a, sorry is there a uh, wall there or can people like because I'm thinking of the southern border yeah. right people are just crossing that record thing so, and they do that there too that's a great question there is this idea that there is this and you'll you'll hear Palestinians talk about there's the wall they've walled us into uh, the Gaza Strip and it's a, it's an open air prison 
Only 10% of Gaza has a wall. Only 10% of Gaza has a wall. It's really just more of a fence. Yeah. It's a fence. That's all that there is. So there's like a little demilitarized zone, like a buffer zone between uh, Israel and Gaza. And I fought fires in that zone before. And we had to take cover because there were like Hamas snipers spotted. Jeez. So yeah, it's it's very dangerous in that little DMZ. But people farm in there because it's land and land is very valuable there. So there's farming. The farmers that got some balls. Bro. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I mean, shit. They do. But there's a little buffer zone between Israel. But most of it is just a fence. And yeah. that's part of the reason how they got in on October 7th. They were able to break down the fence and then they were able to come through. We haven't even gotten to that yet. Yeah, but, but this is just an idea. So what Israel has to deal with mostly are rockets out of Gaza. They also have to deal with rockets out of Lebanon from Hezbollah. And then I like to say they have uh, two and a half uh, different groups they have to deal with because then they also have the Houthi rebels in Yemen, which is a couple of countries over. You can't see it on this map. But the Houthi rebels are constantly firing cruise missiles and rockets into Israel towards the south. So they're getting hit from the Gaza Strip. Yes. They're getting hit over there on the other side with yes, Jerusalem. The, but then they're getting hit from up top. From up top, exactly. Okay. And every now and again, Syria will try to do something I'm as well. sure. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. So it's, yeah. it's, it's So they're lot. coming all from basically top down. There are sense. about 8 million Israelis in Israel surrounded by about 300 million Arab states arab there's 22 states uh, in the um uh in the arab what do they call it uh in the arab crescent crescent yeah so from northern africa all the way over to like say saudi arabia so if you follow the map all the way around um the arab league i think it's officially what they call it there's 22 arab states and there's one teeny tiny little jewish state it's a it's a little blip on the map. So they're surrounded by about 250 million. It's like, what are they going to do? You know, some half is like, you know, you're cornering them. To, That's the problem. But what is, so again, what is the, what is the battle for though? Like, is land, it, is right? it, is it land? Is it, you know, is it religion meaning Muhammad and, and Jesus and God? What is, what is the, why? It goes back to thousands of years of disagreement. Uh, Jews have been the scapegoat of many different groups over the millennia, uh, and it has to do with a lot of different things. But the most acute situation is that the Palestinians believe that Israel is occupying the land, that it's theirs. And what no one ever talks about, the Palestinians don't ever talk about, is there is never like a Palestinian country. Palestine was never a country. There's never been a president of Palestine. No. no, it's not a country. It was just called Syria, Palestina, that the Romans called it. Then it became Palestine. And that just has been passed down over time. And even Jews called themselves Palestinians. But there's never been a Palestinian state. There's that, never been a country. That wouldn't be cool. Yeah. Like, where are you so, from? Uh, Syria, Palestine. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. They'll say they're from <laughs> Palestine, but yeah. they mean they're from the Palestinian region. So everyone in that region called themselves Palestinians even Jews, until the 60s. So that's what the most acute situation is, is that the Palestinians believe the Israelis, the Jews, are occupying their land, but it was never their land. It was the Ottomans. Before that, it was the Romans. Before that, it was like a multitude of other people who have been in control of that region. And the Palestine, Palestinians, are basically a stateless people who are trying to find a state. And I don't understand why their leadership has never taken one of the deals where they were offered their own country. At least they have something. You know what it and seems they, like? They've always said no. It seems like stubborn, yeah. you know, and want to be right and, and, and want to be all or nothing. They want all or nothing. And, 
you know, that little tit for tat mm-hmm. is what it seems like. Boom, like pokey here, pokey there. Yep. And now it's turned into this. Yes. And then when you see like the, you see it on the news now with the rallies at universities mm-hmm. all over the country and it's like a pro Hamas rally. The only way, in my opinion, I could see you saying, okay, I'm going to support that is if you have family on the other side and yes. they maybe were killed by, you know, uh, Israel, then I'd be like, yeah, I hate Israel, right? They killed my family. But if you didn't have that, how can you support that? You know, how are people supporting that pro Hamas when they just killed, I don't know, all those people? And to people. follow up with him, also the news, the TV, the social media, right. you know, are, are they also pushing you know, a certain agenda to make people think a certain thing. So one of the things that the Palestinians uh, and Hamas did a really good job at was after the attacks, they had uh, social media posts ready to go. Mm. So they took videos from their uh, terrorists who were marauding throughout the South. They had GoPros. So when they came back, they were posting these videos. They were posting memes. They were post. They had, uh, they had social media, ready to go and they buy within for 24 hours they just pounded social media and then they took it all down so it was like they got they got a chance to sort of set the tone of what it was that they did and it was evilly brilliant in a way because they got to control the narrative right and israel has never really recovered from that quick enough to sway they were never they, they were swayed a lot of minds quickly and even though these people went in and raped and murdered and kidnapped, they made it seem like somehow they're the victims because they knew that the response from Israel was going to be big. And they hit early on. They knew it was so going to be big. Like you had, like you talk when you talk about the people you deal with, the first impression. Yes. Right. So absolutely. the first impression was, oh, look what happened. Yes. You know, and then they knew it was going to be big. Huh. They took everything down off the internet. But of course, the internet lives forever, and uh, the Israeli government has copies of all of the GoPro videos. They have GoPro uh, uh, cards from the terrorists that they killed in Israel. So they have footage. They know what they did. They cannot deny the things that they did, the atrocities they committed. But on TikTok and on for younger generation who may not necessarily know, know and understand everything that's going on, Israel that's gets, what everyone's on. Exactly. Right. It, they're, they're easily persuaded because they don't know the history. They don't know and understand that uh, in in the Gaza Strip, there hasn't been elections in 16 years. Uh, <laughs> being being LGBT in Palestine in, in yeah, Gaza is punishable by death. You're dead, so you have like queers for Palestine signs, and I'm like, if you went to to it's Gaza, to kill you. You would last 15 minutes there. So there's this incredible level of ignorance. People just don't understand what it is that I think that they think they're supporting. They feel like, oh, they're being oppressed, so we're going to support them. But what they don't understand is that women uh, have very few rights in uh, Gaza. It's basically like uh, ISIS, like an Islamic state. So women don't have the same rights. Um, they kill journalists. They, uh, it's, it's, it's really just like ISIS. It's exactly the same. So think about what ISIS was doing in Syria and Iraq. Uh, the Hamas is doing the same thing. And they haven't held elections in 16 years. So it's um, really not any kind of government I think most of these people would support. But Israel, on the other hand, is the only democracy in the Middle East, and they have elections all the time. They've had a female a prime minister, so it's a very progressive country. Israel has about uh, 2,000 firefighters, and they have 22 
female firefighters in Israel. Really? Which Good in the Middle them. East is amazing because there's some countries in the Middle East yeah, where right. women aren't even allowed to, to drive. Outside, yeah, right? they're yeah. barely allowed to go outside. Barely allowed to drive. So Israel has 22 female firefighters. They have a sure. lot of women in the IDF and their military. <clears throat> and as a percentage, uh, the fire department of New York, which is the biggest and best fire department in the world, they have 11,000 firefighters. They have about 70 uh, women. Okay, 11,000 have 70. As a percentage, Israel has more women firefighters than New York City, one of the most progressive cities in the world. That'll tell you how forward thinking Israel is. And on top of that, Israel has the biggest and best uh, gay pride parade in the Middle East as well. Of course, it's the only gay pride parade (laughs) in the Middle East, but it's still the biggest and best one that they have in June. And so people can be whoever they are and live there freely. Uh, And you would never think, you would never think in a gazillion trillion years that Israel has a gay pride party or anything. Yes, it's a very, they have strip clubs in Tel Aviv. People don't know that either. Wow. And another thing is, that they didn't get blown up, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> they're protecting them. Let's hope not. Put a couple extra Iron Dome batteries there just to protect yeah. the strip clubs. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, so Israel is just an amazing place, it's open to everyone. Uh, there are a lot of uh, Ethiopian Jews there, so there's a lot of uh, black Israelis, like they're dark like me. And uh, so there's a there's it's, a, it's second only to Australia. Israel is one of the most diverse countries as far as having foreign born residents living there. I think it's like 20. One percent, and and Australia has about twenty seven percent. So it's like the second most diverse country in the world, and so it's um it's it's definitely a unique, interesting place state within its area, but it's in a really bad neighborhood. So some it's in the, it's like basically so, in the projects. So do you just think <laughs> that do you think that I mean again we live in the United States, and, and as much as people may hate it, uh, people are allowed the right to their you know First Amendment, and they support Hamas. But do you think that the youth that are taking part in this are just misinformed or they've been tricked? I think it's ignorance. I think TikTok, you know, TikTok uh, degrees, just watching TikTok videos, they think they understand the situation. And again, Hamas did a great job of pushing out a lot of propaganda very quickly and it sort of swayed a lot of these younger people who are ignorant and don't know the the history. They don't know and understand that Jews have been there for 3,000 years. And so that can be changed. And one of the things I do when I engage with a lot of these folks online, because I'm everywhere. I mean, I've been on, when I was there, I did a live interview on CNN. I've been on NBC, CBS, did a ton of press. And when people come at me and the comments, I I respond. I don't turn off comments. I will respond and engage with you because I'm trying to educate people as to what is actually going on. And what I tell people is, listen, don't take my word for it. You should go there. Go to Israel. Go into the West Bank. I've been in the West Bank. I've been into these Arab villages. I've been in these areas. You need to go there. I've been to Akko where there are mixed neighborhoods. You have Christians, Muslims, and Jews living in harmony peacefully. Really? Akko and in Jerusalem. Tons of... What gave you your opinion, though? Initially, when you first went, remember you said you thought you were going to go there and it was going to be bombs and everything? What got that in your head? Why did you think? Because the media. The media. And social media, you right. think it's just war and it's just hell to hell be there. Suicide and, bombers yeah. and, you know, the intifada and fighting. And you see pictures of tanks with people throwing rocks at it. It just made it seem like it was just 24-7 war. And then the other thing that they did that threw me off was when they said that they hit the hospital, but they never hit a they hospital. Never hit it was hospital. a parking lot. It was a parking lot and it was a Hamas 
rocket or Islamic Jihad rocket that misfired and hit the parking lot. And Israel was blamed for that. So Israel is not treated very fairly in the but media. But that's all they pushed on the media. So yes. then, and the that, media ran with it. And that's when, in my opinion, this anti-Semitic shit, because of this one everywhere. Oh, it hit a hospital. But they didn't yeah, research they it. They didn't research yeah. it. There was and, no vetting of the information. And that's when I saw yes. it go nuts and everybody's uh, anti Which rightfully, rightfully so, right? If you see that and you're like, yes. why the fuck would you blow up a hospital, kill kids, kill older people? You you get that in your head. But, but you know, yeah. just playing devil's advocate, right. it's yeah. war. It's right. war. You know, it it's war. War is hell. And this is it. But this is the thing. Israel is the most uh, moral army. They Their military is very, uh, they, they go above and beyond what the law even requires. I mean, there's a war in Ukraine right now. There's a hundred different conflicts around the world. There are no other militaries that are doing what Israel does. Israel does something called knocking on the roof, where if they're going to blow up a building, like a building has a Hamas headquarters in it, they're going to blow it up. They will drop a bomb and it like detonates on the roof, but it's just like it just lets you know that it's knocking on the roof. It's a small explosion to just let you know that, hey, you've got like 15 minutes to get out of this building. We're going to hit it. No other military does. <laughs> yeah. In my opinion, this no is the only it. war that I've seen anytime recently or any type of type of war that is actually a war and not derived by a military industrial complex or yes. we're getting in shit that we shouldn't get in. I think this one is actually real Absolutely. like a real war not laundering money Absolutely. you know whether it's a rep no matter what color like there's i think this is like real real well, not, not three billion gets missing six million yeah you know. here's one of the biggest problems is that underneath gaza uh hamas has spent the last 16 years building uh terror tunnels yeah. so they've been digging tunnels underneath um underneath gaza and that's where they store munitions that's where they believe many of the hostages are that's where they move personnel they're able to maneuver throughout the entire gaza strip underground and so when israel's bombing buildings people will see that a lot of times they're bombing the tunnels they're not bombing the building they're trying to hit the tunnels and the tunnels are under the buildings unfortunately and so as a result of being at war a war which they did not start by the way they're going to fight this war in a way in which they need to defeat their enemy and that's why they're hitting these tunnels and they destroyed about 130 of the tunnels they did. at the time when i was there over about two weeks the only thing i can't understand is if you're, you're saying that iran supports hamas correct? yes so iran supports hamas we support israel yes okay why in the fucking world, then, do we give Iran all this money if we know <laughs> they're going to take that money and they're going to aim it right at Israel? It's almost as if we're, and, I, and this is you know going down that road, but it's almost like, go ahead, do it. Now we can make money off of this somehow. Why do that? Why so, give Iran money? So politics is very complicated. Foreign aid is very complicated. Even in the 80s, we used to give foreign aid to the Soviet Union. I don't know if people realize that. So foreign aid is so complicated and has a lot of different moving parts. I'm not sure what money you're speaking of specifically, but if you're talking about the $6 billion, I think, that was released to Iran, that was money that was uh, seized through profits, I believe, from either Korea or China that they had sold oil to. They seized that money. It was their money. They released it to them through um, a program that President Trump started where the money's being held in Qatar. And then Iran has to put in a request for purchasing humanitarian aid or whatever. And then Qataris buy it and ship it to them. There's other, I think Obama. I won't ask uh, you if you believe o that, Obama sent a pallet of money. <laughs> Obama sent a pallet of cash to 
Iran. Now that was actually oh, cash. you mean the one in the middle of the night? Yeah, okay. that was oh, actually okay. cash that was sent yeah. to him in the middle of the that, night. That again, it's complicated, but that was money also that was seized by a bank. It was a bank in the United States. We seized it. It went through the courts over many years, and they were they won that the money needed to be returned. Did the money but again, get returned? I don't know a lot of the nuance of a lot of these things, but I will tell you that things are complicated. It's very complicated. It's very complicated. And I tell people all the time, I'm not going to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I'm not putting it on you. I'm not going to ever solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I don't even know what the right solution is to fix this. But what I can tell you is that when there is a terrorist attack and you have... 1,500 to 2,000 terrorists break through the fence and come into Israel. And are, they had three different types of squads. They had squads that were specifically sent in to murder. They All they did was kill everyone that they saw. They had another set of squads that were sent in to rape women. Hmm. Their only job was to find women and rape them. Then the third group was to kidnap people. Huh. So they had three different groups, and they know this because when they killed a lot of the terrorists, they had maps, and they had documents, and they took the documents off of them. So that's how they were able to figure out, okay, they had different, they were color-coded. Like, you you need to go into this area because we know there's kibbutzes there, and we know there are, you know, they didn't know anything about the festival. I think they just came upon the festival, which was like shooting ducks in a barrel, the, the Nova Music Festival, the famously, right. it was a peace festival, and they came in. And um, just murdered a, a lot of young people who were at this how, music festival. How close was that festival to say where that wall, not the wall, but the fence? The fence is just a know? few miles. It's not very far. Okay. Now they have not very far. the best counterintelligence or equal to us, right? Yes. How did they get in? So, I mean, that, so that blows my mind. This mission, this mission was so secretive within Gaza that many Hamas members outside of Gaza didn't even know about it. So the top leaders of Hamas are in Qatar and they're in Lebanon. They're not actually, they don't actually live in Gaza and they're worth uh, probably like $5 billion. So they are, they're very corrupt. They steal a lot of the aid mm-hmm. that comes in. They're living in these beautiful penthouses. Smart cars. Yeah, okay. exactly. Murders. So they didn't even know about these attacks. That's how secretive it was. So Israeli intelligence didn't necessarily pick up all the chatter. However, the morning of the attacks, and I'll actually let me back up. There was an intelligence analyst who did intercept some transmissions about um, Hamas trying to do trying to do something like this. And the information was relayed up the chain of command. But the Israeli intelligence agencies didn't think that Hamas could pull it off. So they didn't Mm. take it seriously. Kind of similar to where we had some notifications about the possibility of uh, of of Al Qaeda striking on 9-11. And we kind of didn't take it. That we kind of ignored it too. So Rick Prado went in there three times. Yes. He was in here. He yes. went in right in there to Bush and said, yes. "Look, they're they're quiet. You yes. got to do something. Not yes. enough. Exactly. You know? yeah. Exactly. So the intelligence world, um, they have to be a hundred percent, and the terrorists have to be lucky once. And they got lucky. Israel missed it. They missed it. However, the morning of the attacks, the attacks started around six thirty seven o'clock. The morning of the attacks. Israeli uh, signal intelligence analysts did start to pick up a lot of chatter on the um, systems that they monitor on the terrorist networks they monitor. And they were like, we think something's going to happen. There's all this, there's a tremendous amount of communication on this, on these channels that were like dead. They were not communicating anything for like weeks. And they tried to notify that there was an, there was probably going to be something happening. But by the time is these things take time. 
by the time the words got out, it, w- it, it was already underway and, and the terrorist attack had already started. Now, don't you think there had to be somebody within for them to get through? Like they had, or they just got that one time lucky? Well, there's just a fence. You know, the only 10% of Gaza has a wall. So they used a bulldozer and knocked down the fence and then they just drove right in and they overwhelmed the few IDF patrols that were there. There's a very famous picture of a, a tank that had been burned out. There was a tank there and a, and a few units. There is a base. Uh, there's a Nakal Oz base that's right there. That base got overrun. Israel got caught flat-footed. They, they, they missed caught it. caught off guard. They missed it. Mm-hmm. They yeah. missed it. And it took about 30 hours for the IDF to eventually do a counterattack and go and sweep the south and, and, and neutralize and all the terrorists, catch or kill all the terrorists that were in the south. It took about 30 hours. So it took some time to get the forces together and they got they got caught flat-footed. They yeah. really did. It was yeah. a big miss. They missed it. But I will tell you that, and something I think Hamas knew, is that the uh, response uh, it, mm-hmm. it has been big. Yeah. It's been big. It's been, and he's the, been pretty kind. It, it, listen, hmm. it, it's been, it's been. There have been several of these uh, in, uh, conflicts with Gaza over the years. There's never been a response like this, but there also has never been an attack like where you go in and you kill fifteen hundred people, you rape and murder and kidnap two hundred and forty people. So the response is unprecedented. It was an unprecedented attack. Uh, that Hamas committed, so it's it's an imp- unprecedented response. And the propaganda has become, well, is it true? Right. You know, is it not true? Are they really cutting people's legs off? Are they really killing kids? You know, they're putting doubt out there. Like when you say that, who who is who doing? That? <clears throat> like they're Hamas. Like our, there's video of it. Yeah, I know, yeah. but they're saying is it made up? This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex, guys. Remember the days when you're always ready to go. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, aqua conversations, waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. Does it work? Don't think you need it? Try it free for a month and see. You're going to love it. You could be missing the best sex of your life. They say there's nothing sexier than confidence. And Blue Chew can help give you the confidence where it counts. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use the promo code MSCS at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code MSCS, to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. We thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, yeah. Is it edited? They're, they're putting that It's just down. propaganda. Yeah, yeah it's propaganda. They did a good job. Dangerous. They did a good job trying to control the narrative by pulling all the videos down and just flooding the internet, flooding the internet with millions of posts. They have bot farms that are posting things and commenting. And that's, and that's why I worry, and we've talked about it many, many, many times on here, is with AI... You are soon yeah. 
if you're not at that point now, not going to know whether that video of you yeah. fighting a fire in Israel, yeah. if you were really there. No, it's it's, it's scary. It's, it, it can be about. scary and manipulated. But the thing is, when you have a GoPro, a lot of the stuff was being streamed live and they have the cards right. for things. So they have tremendous amount of evidence of of the, the atrocities that Hamas. Well, made. you know what I mean. You know, sure. somebody gets a little bit of doubt. Right. Yeah, like, some people will doubt it. Yeah. But the mainstream, most people know and understand. And, and we have, you know, media sources that can report on these things. And we have eyewitnesses, people who were there. We have people who were kidnapped. How'd they get kidnapped? Right. How are they in Gaza? Why, so. why has the reporting died down? Just like Ukraine, I wouldn't even know that there was a war there right now. I haven't heard I much about this in probably a week and a there's half. There's like a war fatigue that kind of happens, and people kind of get into a, um, uh, how do they describe it? They describe it as like a, a routine of war. Yeah. You know, when a war first starts, like a really big deal, then over time, you know, it starts to kind of fade out. There becomes like a routine. And that's kind of what lulled Israel to sleep a little bit. Because normally, if there's a terrorist attack, they'll fire in some rockets. The Iron Dome will intercept most of them. Some get through. Israel fires back. Boom, boom, boom. And then that's it. And then there's a ceasefire. So that's been the cycle that's for usually 15 it, years. Yeah. Yeah. But so Israel time, got used to that. Mm, like, so they're like, and they got really good at dealing with the rocket attacks. They have the Iron Dome. They have the uh, David's uh, Sling. You know, now they have these like lasers they're working on. So that's what they they're used to. I can assure you that an attack like this will never happen again because Israel now will be ready for it. But they did get caught off guard. They got caught off guard and paid a very very heavy price. And as a result of that, uh, Hamas and Gaza is paying a tremendously heavy price. And let me tell you something. I was stationed along the Gaza border for two days. Then I went to Jerusalem for a day and a half. Then I went back down towards the Gaza border. And I was close enough where I could hear the fighting. Like I could hear the bombing. And it would start at five in the morning. There would be, tanks would be firing their main weapon. Boom. You'd just hear boom, 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 boom. You just, it was all just all, uh, from five to about 10 o'clock for five hours. Mm -hmm. Just the tanks firing. Then Israel would start dropping bombs from planes. Now we're talking like the 2,000 pound bunker buster. <laughs> these, are the, these, these bombs are as big as like a Volkswagen. So they're, they're softening them up with the tanks. Then they come in with the bunker busting bombs. And when these things go off, man, I'm gonna tell you, it's a sound that you've never heard before. You never <laughs> wanna hear again. This thing is just like kapow, like a sound. You're like, what was that? It sounds like thunder times like a hundred. Well, yeah, like what hole did that like, make? It just like <laughs> rocks you and Ash the ground rain. shakes. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. five, six miles away and, and the ground will rumble like when earthquake. these things hit. But then that wasn't even like the worst bomb they, they would drop. After they would open up a crater at the entrance of these tunnels, these these tunnels that Hamas is buried in, and they're like 50, 60 feet underground. So they're deep. So after they create this crater, then they use a bunker busting missile. <laughs> so they fire this missile from a plane and the missile goes out and then it goes straight down into that crater. Oh, and when wow. that thing hits, <laughs> like the lights will start to flicker. Yeah. And, uh, and if there's like a uh, like a light fixture, the light fixture is swinging, <laughs> and we're like six miles away, five six miles away, and it's just devastating, devastating. Whew. And what the most interesting evolution for me was there's two things. I was giving a presentation for some folks in Miami. <clears throat> there's a group I belong to, Dave Brown, Palm Beach County folks, who work at, uh, as first responders, and they were 
asking me a lot of questions. Most of the questions were very technical. Like, what was the response plan like? How did the dispatch center work? How did, you know, how these things happen? And someone asked me, you know, kind of out of the blue, would you ever, would you ever go back? And it caught me off guard because I was having these real technical conversations about tactics and operations. And it's like, would you ever go back? And I immediately knew how I wanted to answer it, but I, I had to kind of get to that answer. I said, you know what? I said, yes, I would. Yes, I would go back. But I have to admit that when I got there and I started hearing the bombing and the fighting and you could hear what was going on, I realized that it was much more dangerous than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and I think part of that is because I'm very optimistic mm -hmm. and I always feel like I can do anything and I can overcome any challenge and I can make any situation and adapt and overcome to anything. And I think my very positive outlook gave me a false sense of like reality mm -hmm. that I was going into a war zone. And even in my positive mindset, I felt like I could overcome that somehow because I'm always just so positive and I feel like I see the world in a way that I can I can affect a change at the heat of the war zone. At the heat of right. the war zone, the I was close. It couldn't get any hotter. Yeah. Didn't get any hotter. I was in the hot zone. I was in the hot zone, <laughs> and my reality very quickly, very very quickly, started to change because when a fire call would come in, and by the way, on October seventh, on the day of the attacks, there were a hundred calls into nine one one into their one hundred two system, so there were a hundred calls in queue. Okay, so in my city and plantation, if we were to have two structure fires, two fires at the same time, like that's a big deal. Or if we had three fires at the same time, right. that's a big deal. They had a hundred calls in queue. I think fifteen or twenty of them are fires that are burning. Mm. So fifteen, twenty fires for a region. And we're not and, talking about a, a fire from no, a match. We're talking about yeah. massive fires. <laughs> yeah. Massive rocket attacks have started these fires. So they were overwhelmed. What Israel was doing was Number one, they lost 600 of the firefighters to the reserves. So the IDF called up 300,000 fighters. So the fire department has about 2,000 people. They lost 600 people like that. Wow. So now you have got people that. going to the IDF, so they're going to fight. Okay? Yeah. But you have all these calls. So what they did was they, they manned the engines with as many people as they had, anything that had hose on it. If they had a hose, they sent it out on the calls. Some people were just going out one person on a vehicle. And when they get there, they would deputize people and say, hey, you know, people who were there, just the locals, you and you and you grab this and let's go. And they would fight the fires. and They'd say, OK, get on the truck. We're going to the next call. And they would call in like, hey, where's the next call? And they did an amazing job. They did an amazing job dealing with it. The fire chief in the south, one of the fire chiefs was killed. He was ambushed trying to come back to the station. His station called him saying, there's an attack. You've got to come back. He grabbed his wife, jumped in his car and drove, and he was ambushed on the road by Hamas terrorists. And he was killed. And with his, his guys wife. With his wife. Mm. And his guys showed me videos on their phone that they raced to try to help him. And they had video of them arriving. And she was dead in the car. And they took him, snatched him, and tried to get him to the hospital. He died at the hospital. Another firefighter who was in steroid was killed. If you don't mind, to show the viciousness, how did they kill his wife? They shot her. Shot, shot her. Yeah. And they and they had him. They watch shot it him happen. as well. Well, they shot them both at the same time. They were coming yeah. down the road and they just ambushed them. There was another firefighter from Steroid who left because the shift change happens around seven o'clock. This happened around six thirty-seven. So he left off shift and he forgot something at the station. Oh. So he turned around to come back. They had an RPG. There's a very famous video of an RPG attack on a car in Steroid, and it was the firefighter. They shot him with the RPG. He got out of the car and then they shot him. Oh. So there was just indiscriminate. It's just an indiscriminate murder. 
and it was just absolutely terrible. So there were five firefighters in that region that were that were killed on October 7th. And so it was like it was very personal for the firefighters. And um, some of them and all the firefighters in Israel are armed, by the way. Some of them uh, only armed with a handgun went to Sterot, which is uh, in the south. I think we have a map of that. They went to Sterot to confront the terrorists. So the terrorists all With had long gun? guns. They all they all had long guns. They all had AK-47s and, and long guns. They're, they're steroids. So that little dot is where I was on uh, some of my operations. Damn, we would go to close. Yeah, it's very close. We'd go to steroid during the day. Then we'd re, we would move back away from steroid at night. It was just too dangerous. And steroid was evacuated, by the way. The entire town's evacuated because it's so close. But that was like ground zero for a lot of the attacks. Uh, the Bear Airy area also was um, heavily um, that, that's attacked. Right below not, to sound, not to sound ignorant here, but if if they're launching Damn, you were they're launching missiles or whatever right at these buildings, that's how they're catching fire? Is yes. that right? Yes. And this may sound really ignorant, but why worry about putting it out? It's probably blown up into pieces, and who at that point does it matter? You know what I'm trying it to does. say? Like I- <clears throat> it does because one of the things, well, well, first of all, as a firefighter, you're a hammer and everything's a nail, right? So if something's on fire, you want to put it out. Right. We don't just ever let a fire just burn. So if there's something on fire, we're trying to preserve life first and then property. So we're trying to preserve people's property. These are people's cars and their homes. No matter what's left. No matter, right. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No matter what's left, we want to try to salvage it because people may have pictures. They may have heirlooms. Right. It's a big deal. It's yeah, a big deal. You're talking two guys don't even know how to use a fire. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, but I'm, I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking from the perspective of if a bomb or a missile hits yeah. it, it basically just goes. Yeah, you're saying like there's 200 of them anyway. going on. Right. Well, well, because for some people, that might be all they have left. Right, Their family right. may have been killed and they may only have pictures of them. Right. And if we want to go save in Save that one picture. Save that. I get it. We're yeah. going in hard to try to save that one picture that one family heirloom that's irrep that that priceless family heirloom that belonged to someone's great great grandmother some of these are holocaust survivors families they may have things that they just are really important to the family and we're going to go in and try to put out every fire i thought i thought like you were first until i thought about it because you you know you got so much going on you you pick and choose but as a firefighter you know you take that honor and you know whatever you can keep could be Absolutely. could keep somebody alive from killing themselves. Yeah, we see something. fire as mm. like just like the just the dragon, and man, and, and <laughs> as a firefighter, we want to fight that dragon. We don't ever want the fire to beat us ever. It could be a car fire, it could be a brush fire. We want to go and stamp it out because it's almost like it's alive. There's this debate: is fire really alive? Mm. Because it it eats, it grows. Right. It's wow. it's almost like it has life, and so we feel we take it very personally when something's on fire especially from like a rocket attack you're sitting in your living room with your family <laughs> and all of a sudden there's a rocket in your living room and it's exploded by the way every home and every building in israel has to have a bomb shelter and hmm. every home and every building must have a bomb shelter and based on where you are in the country you have this app on your phone that if there's a rocket attack, you, there's a there's an alert that you may be able to pull. Yeah, send it to me. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, a rocket. There, there's, like, there's an alert. Run! <laughs> so there's an air raid horn that will go off in the town. Mm-hmm. The air raid horn goes off, and then you'll get an alert on your phone, and it's going to tell you how much time you have to get to the bomb shelter based on where you're on the country. So when I was uh, where I was in the south. I basically had 30 seconds to get to a bomb shelter once the rocket attack happened. Hey, you know, it's not give you a 60. <laughs> yeah. Not, well, not much time, huh? Well, when I was in Sterot, which is right next to Gaza, you really only have like 
uh, 15 seconds to get to a shelter. And actually, people have told me, you really only have 10, but we say 15 just to feel like- Make it feel better. Make it feel better. (laughs) Make it feel like you have a fighting chance. But really, you have like 10 seconds to get to a bomb shelter. And that that alert goes off, and no matter what you're doing, you have to drop what you're doing. Now, here's the worst part. You may not necessarily be in a building. You could be out in the public. And there are bomb shelters that are throughout- the communities but you may not always be near one you could be driving on the highway there's no bomb shelter so one of the things we always did was we always knew where gaza was and we always try to keep our back to gaza so if we're on a call and you always want to know where it's at so you keep your back turned to it because if there's a rocket attack you know you need to be going that way and looking for shelter something that can protect you from a rocket coming coming this way that'll south that'll make you run a fast 40 it'll yeah. Yeah. If you had a stopwatch you'd be setting some world record yeah, you'll be up in that right <laughs> and getting back to the responses and kind of my optimism and how that kind of got diminished was when the calls would start coming in and i started to realize like how dangerous this was when there's rocket attacks well the second day i was there they fired uh, 11 rockets at our towards our position and the iron dome intercepted all 11 and when we're in the bomb shelter you can hear the Iron Dome intercepting the rockets and they're exploding over your head. You can hear them exploding over your head. So we come outside and you see the little puffs of smoke and it, you can see where they where they all went off. And I was like, oh man, like Pull this, that is, Iron this Dome. is dangerous. Yeah, this is really dangerous. That's when I started to realize it. And then when the calls would come in, we would pull out of the station and if we if we got to the main road and we made a right, we were headed towards Gaza. If we made a left, we were headed away from Gaza. <laughs> so it became this sort of exercise every time I got in the truck I was like what kind of call is it because we're speaking in Hebrew I don't speak Hebrew I would ask the guys what kind of call is it and are we turning right or are we turning left like I wanted to know because it was just like something where I had to like accept my fate does the Iron Dome miss at all yes it does it can be overwhelmed yeah but I I had seen when we looked it up one time it was hitting taken down like 80 80 missiles like in five minutes take down a lot so on does that wear out well, there's only there's a finite amount of missiles. Then they have to reload the Iron Dome system. So it's not an unlimited system. So on October 7th, they fired 3,000 rockets to start the attack. So they fired 3,000 rockets into Gaza. And what they knew would happen is that people would go to their, their, bomb, their bomb safe rooms. And that's when they coordinated the attack for their terrorist fighters to come in. Everyone's locked in their rooms. So now they're shooting ducks in a barrel. And that's how they were able to... Uh, uh, commit so many acts uh, of, of violence and atrocities because people were now locked into their locked into their uh, bomb shelter and they were lighting the right. houses on fire to flush them out and they were just shooting ducks in a barrel. It said that every time that dome has to shoot one down, 80K. Yeah, it's very per. expensive. Oh, yes. Wow. Worth every penny, though, here. We can watch oh, yeah. how it works. Worth every penny. I mean, it's life. Turn up a little bit. Look at that. These are Iron Dome intercepting rockets. In 2011. It's incredible. Israel is protected so by now, 10 what, Dome Okay, batteries. so you got the military van, missile launcher. If you could explain what all this is, AJ, for those yeah. listening. So, yeah. It, it's going to track the missiles and intercept them. Incoming threats like Hamas's barrage of rockets fired at Israel from Gaza are identified by radar. Mm. Yep, just takes it out. Preventing them from hitting their targets. That's crazy. And if the missile... Is so advanced, 
It can tell which missiles are likely to hit densely populated areas yes. and those that would cause less destruction. Oh my god. Wow. Only and that's hitting every one of them. It it's firing out to hit every one of them. So if if the rocket the of- if the rocket is headed to an area that's not well populated, like a like a, just a barren area, it, it won't fire a missile at it. And it's it's 90 percent success. Ninety percent so success rate. So pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. But think about this for a minute. On October seventh, when they fired three thousand rockets, that means that three hundred of them made through. Right. Three hundred. Like- that's a lot. So that's what caused an initial round of destruction. That's why in the southern region there were over a hundred calls in queue, over a hundred calls in queue on their nine one one system, which is the one oh two. You dial one oh two in Israel for fire. That's why there were so many calls and so much destruction uh there in the first now, now does that burn months. out eventually? That yes. missile system? I mean, even if they have missiles, does it burn they have out? To reload just like it. a car that you ran three hundred thousand miles. They on just it. they just reload it with new rockets and it's ready to go. But it can, it can be overwhelmed because it can only fire as many rockets right. as it has. When you shot, shoot 3,000 at one time, Jesus. they normally would shoot 3,000 over like a two-week like conflict with Israel. They shot 3,000 like to start their attack. So that's why so many rockets made it through is they, did just, they just overwhelmed the system. Do, do you think right now they still have kind of like an unlimited amount of artillery? Uh, are you talking about Hamas? Hamas, yeah. They have a tremendous stockpile underneath those tunnels, which is part of the reason why Israel is trying to destroy the tunnels. So when they're hitting a lot of these areas, I mean, Gaza is a very small place. It's, what is it, 25 miles by 75 miles. They're they're going after the, the tunnels. They're not targeting the building, but the tunnels are underneath the building. So they have to hit the tunnels, and that's why it makes it seem like you're just bombing on a, a building. But no, they're going after the tunnels. They're trying to destroy the munitions. And now the new phase of what the IDF is doing, the Israel Defense Forces, is that they are flooding the tunnels with seawater. So they're, they're flooding the tunnels in order to flush them out and be able to um, hopefully get Hamas to, to relent and possibly surrender. I don't know if it's Ukraine or, or over there. They're using white phosphorus. Really? They're spraying it. Yeah, it might be in Ukraine. Yeah, or, uh, I, 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 listen, fuck you. listen. I'm a firefighter, so yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't mind. I'm not a weapons expert, but I will tell you that. Uh, and this is a great clip here, which you can play. But I will tell you that the work that we were doing it, it benefits everyone because um, there are a lot of there are two million Arab Muslims who are Arab Israelis, so they were also victims in this attack as well. So our work and the humanitarian work that we do really has to do with people who are in Israel. And that includes the West Bank. That includes people in Arab neighborhoods, Arab Muslims. We go out in these neighborhoods and we protect them as well. So it's not just the Jewish residents. It's the Christians and Muslims that live there as well are also. It's victims. everyone. Abs- everyone in Israel. Yeah, You're not like narrowing no, it down to absolutely one. Not. Yeah. It's just like the Israel Defense Forces is they, they, they defend anyone in Israel. It doesn't matter your religion. The Israel Defense Forces defends anyone in Israel. So there are 2 million Arab Muslims <laughs> that live in Israel, but they're also judges and politicians and they could become prime minister and these sorts of things. So they have equal rights. They live in Israel. They just happen to be Muslim or Christian. So it's it's a Jewish state, but there are other people who also live there. The hard part is it's but like, you, you know, the, the kids that are over there just like trying to get to the kids because if your dad is, say, the bad guy, Hamas, mm-hmm. and he's going to fight Israel. That's your dad. Yep. And now uh, they killed him. And you're like, but my dad that's was fighting bad guys. And then it, that's why, like, when will it ever end? It's a cycle that <clears throat> we hope right. will end. Right. Yeah. Right. So let's play this. 
This is NBC6. American firefighters are answering the call to fight fires in Israel alongside crews there. It's a project that's been around for more than a decade, but the need grew after the Hamas attacks. NBC6's Marissa Bag is in Fort Lauderdale with the story of one local firefighter who's in Israel now. These South Florida firefighters say as soon as their boots hit the ground, they are working nonstop for 14 days, only able to sleep in between calls. Hmm. So many of them, this is an experience. How much sleep are you getting? I was about four miles from Gaza when I did this interview. This was probably about four or five miles away from Gaza. Crews from Fort Lauderdale, Plantation, Hollywood, and Miami Beach were working alongside Israeli firefighters wherever needed. It's because with the increase of weapon attacks and the increase of calls. Yeah, I was probably like four or five miles from Gaza when I did this. Has to Kept my head on a swivel. Fire <laughs> so they need people to help expand their capacity. So the Americans that come, we come to help staff those extra engines. Our local South Florida firefighters Oof. are responding to rocket attacks and other emergencies. Nothing could prepare Lieutenant Bright for what he's seen on his two-week deployment. Mm. Eleven rockets were fired uh, towards our position, and we had to take shelter in a, um, in a bomb shelter, but the Iron Dome intercepted all 11 rockets. When we came out, we noticed that it had intercepted all 11 rockets directly over where we were. So it's just really mind-blowing of a situation. It's not something that you can train for or you can prepare for, but uh, thank God for the Iron Dome system because it, it really saves a lot of lives here. In all, 65 American firefighters from 11 states have gone to Israel. They traveled with an organization called the Emergency Volunteers Project, which started in 2007, so that Americans honorable guys, AJ, honorable guys, all of you. Being there around the clock is speaking volumes yeah. to the Israelis. Hey, Kahuna's to do Our that. presence here in Israel when uh, Israelis see us uh, on calls or they come to the, the stations or wherever we're at, um, it just it really boosts their morale. You have a tremendous amount of support in, here in the United States. And an attack against Israel is an attack against the United States. Lieutenant Bright tells me with each and every call that he responds to, he has the hostage. Now, at that time, how worried were you? Pretty worried on that one. Pretty I think that was the one uh, you sent me the alarm and where you were. And you're like, whoa. Now, you got the vest there that you was, had on. Yeah. And we were talking about how heavy. Yeah. yeah, grab that. Yeah, Let me see that? that. Yeah. And this is the helmet, right? The helmet I was wearing. Here's the vest. Jesus. Heavy? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds heavy. You just put it on the table. How much do you think that weighs, AJ? Uh, it's probably about, uh, it's probably close to 20 pounds. Probably. Kevlar or what is that? Just it's Kevlar and it's got metal plates in there. Rob, you can keep it on wide view. Yeah, keep it on wide view. I see it. Yeah, it's wow. about. Yeah, it's got it's uh it's got Kevlar, but then they're also. And steel you're plates. wearing that the whole time. So we wear these in the south. We would wear these on every call, uh, every call, every call. So imagine walking around with that, and then putting my bunker gear coat over it. And we would wear this helmet if it was a non-fire call, so like a car accident or something like that. But if it was a fire call, I'd wear my fire helmet. You see the helmet? Oh, but and I you were saying I could take helmet. a bullet. This is bulletproof as well. It's a, but you're it's up a, ahead. It's a Kevlar. It's a Kevlar helmet. Oh, it's a ballistic helmet. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, you're, you're it would ring your bell. It would ring your bell tremendously. But, uh, but it, like this it would could keep take a protected. twenty-two. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Forty-five. Oh yeah. This could take a forty-five. Sure. Wow, I'm impressed. That's sure. Wild.
and the steel plates in there uh, can take like a like a M16 round, an AK47 round. It, it can take it if it if it hits the plates. That feels like 50, 55 pounds. Yeah, it's heavy. Day. It's about it's about twenty pounds. And then walking really around with oh, that, yeah. running. And then I also have all my other gear. I have my air pack and all. You know, I'm, I already have like 30, 40 pounds of gear that I'm carrying. Then I have another twenty pounds. Uh, and it's really hot. I'm in the desert, so it's really, really, really hot. Now I know why you look like you're yeah, ready to run jacked. for a marathon. Coming back jacked, lost <laughs> right. all his weight. Jacked. He's lost came back, weight. I lost 20 pounds. Yeah, crazy. he's ready for the marathon <laughs> after that shit. It's right? a great diet. Just go to a war zone. <laughs> go to a oh, war zone. <laughs> now, what's the money like over there? Like, How's the money and the food and, and so on? What are you is, doing when you're there? The like, food is amazing. So when we're there, we're kosher the whole time because we eat with the firefighters and what they're eating, and they cook every meal from scratch so uh, we have shabbat mm -hmm. dinner with them yes every meal is made from, from scratch. scratch they have some great chefs and these fire stations and what did so you pack to get on the plane to go there so i just packed gear uh yeah. i had like two sets of civilian clothes just because uh, traveling on the plane and traveling back but otherwise i was in like a duty shirt like a like a uh, something similar to this like a department shirt uh, bdus which are kind of like cargo pants long long pants and my 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 work boots and i wore i wore that for two weeks i just wore it. You know, i had the, i had many you know i had like five or six pair and i could wash them if i needed to but that was all i was wearing i was i was on shift for 14 days so and say like there's a period of time where nothing's going on mm -hmm. is anything open like can you go have dinner somewhere lunch somewhere there were places that were open, but we weren't going anywhere. <laughs> we were we were on shift. We were working. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of food. There's always plenty of food, and they have a a day room, so we're watching. We could watch TV, but it was just twenty four. Well, it was probably like twenty hours of war coverage. They had just had like talking head shows. They weren't doing normal programming. It was just war coverage every single minute of the day. Maybe about four hours they would play a few programs and then it, or a movie, and then it was back to covering the war again. So and what would you say is the difference between the news that's getting fed over there, right, to your winger there, and then the news that we're getting here as to what's happening? Is it night and day or similar but a little bit cut out? I think it depends on what news you consume. And I always mm -hmm. would recommend people to consume different news sources don't just be in an echo chamber with people who you think you agree with all the time it's good to you know watch fox news watch msnbc watch cnn watch newsmax watch them all and then you can make your own evaluation choices, your own evaluation read the new york times read the washington post you should read a little bit of everybody usa today your local paper try to get your news from multiple sources and don't just go on to tiktok you know, to see the latest information. But unfortunately, that's how a lot of young people get their news is on TikTok. I know. Uh, yeah. Sam unvetted, <clears throat> unvetted news. Anyone can make anything they want and post it on there and people take it as fact. So that's the danger of the like misinformation and they'll make a meme about something that's completely untrue and that could be circulated around the world in a matter of hours. So it's very, very, very difficult. I think Israel needs to get better at the social media side of this thing, the controlling the narrative. They really were behind the eight ball because the Hamas had a lot of uh, tweets and things already prepared. They had the bot farms ready to go. The bot farms are posting and commenting and doing these things and Israel was really caught behind the eight ball on that so they need to get better at that but they have righteousness on their side they have the moral high ground and so no matter how much misinformation is out there it doesn't change the fact that you had 1500 to 2000 uh terrorists from from gaza come in and murder 
They had the murder squads, the rape squads, and the kidnapping squads do that to their country and then go back into Gaza. So that can't change by memes on TikTok. Yeah. So Israel has the high ground here. They just have to continue to do what they do to protect themselves. I'm surprised they haven't <clears throat> given an alternate you know, more social media. So it's not so I, much one way. Rob, can you turn my headphones down just a little bit? Yeah, yeah. But I think you have to be a a a fucking moron to <laughs> they came in, yeah. they slaughtered people. Yes. They raped women. Yes. You have to be a complete fucking idiot. Yeah. To be like, oh, but you know, that's okay. We'll leave them go this time. Get alone a protest. Like you Thank have, you for saying you that. You have to come back. If if someone did that to your family, huh. are you going to, you know, they didn't mean it this time. Yeah. Like they, they did. Let's be careful let's, what we do. Thank you for saying that because the, the, the moral clarity of this is so easy to understand. It's simple. And Rob it's just simple. really, Rob just really summed it up. It's the, the moral clarity of this is easy. And one of the reasons Very why simple. I knew I needed to go is because we can never allow something like this to stand. You cannot stand by and let this happen. And you had 60, we, we actually had 700 firefighters inquire into the EVP to go to Israel. 700. That's great. So we had, uh, within 24 hours, we had five firefighters on the ground. We had eventually 60 more firefighters from 11 states come and go to Israel in order to help. And we were there on a humanitarian mission. And I don't like to ever get into the politics when we're there because the politics to us, it doesn't matter when we have a, a call come in and it's in the West bank or it's in an Arab neighborhood or it's in wherever we don't care. We're going to go. There is no politics. There is no politics. Yeah. We're, I'm a, we're firefighters. You're protecting. We're firefighters. Wherever protect, you are, you're protecting. We'll protect everybody. Yep. And I have been Good into these areas. I've been into Arab neighborhoods. I've been into these, I've run calls in all different types of neighborhoods in Israel and we don't care. We're there in order to protect life and preserve property and to try to help people get back on their feet. And again, it could be something as simple as saving a photo album, which is irreplaceable. Everything else might be gone, but if we can save that one thing, like we'll take things and throw it out the window or we'll try to grab things and run out to save them. Or somebody may say something like, Hey, my, I have this box in my closet as we're going in, they might tell us, can you please try to save it? It's got like whatever in it. So we, it, it's important to us to try to preserve as much for people as possible, especially when they've lost everything. So, and, so. and to go off of him, I, I understand why the U S is saying, Hey, you know, stop a little bit, give a break. But would we stop? No. You know, oh, fuck. if Cuba so, if Cuba was to attack Key West and do what Hamas did in Cuba. Right. Imagine. We And then would some other country is going to say, "Hey USA, take a break and, you know, they're going to bomb me, but take a break because, you know, there's some minutes which we all don't nobody wants anybody Nobody innocent, wants But this is war. person to get killed or hurt. This but, is war. And it's unfortunate and it's um, it's very unfortunate time there's a civilian casualty. But unfortunately, I mean, this is this is a war, a war Israel did not start and did not want. So they're going to execute their strategy as best they can to destroy the military infrastructure inside of Gaza. And how can you blame them? The United States, we got attacked on 9-11. We went to war for 20 years. <laughs> there were this estimated that five million civilians were killed in between Afghanistan and Iraq. Five million. So. I just don't know if we're in the position to be lecturing anybody about this because when we got hit, we hit back hard, really hard for 20 
years. And that's what what I a great leader that they have, in my opinion. That's what he's saying. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, he's, he's like, well, do. Well, well, would you take a break? Absolutely. And I think he told him last time, look. I'm not taking a break. No, and the thing is that people are like, oh, there should be a ceasefire. Well, there was a ceasefire on October 6th that was in place yeah. when Hamas broke the ceasefire on October 7th. So uh, right, what's another what ceasefire going to do? It's going <laughs> to delay them to recoup, to rearm, and to do it again. And Hamas has and already worse. said they're going to do it again. They already said they're going to do something like this again. So Israel, look, again, I'm not a military expert. I'm a firefighter. I put out fires. I help people. But I can tell you that Israel... I can't blame them for doing whatever they need to do to protect their country and to avoid something like this ever happening again. This podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. Tear into a can of the meanest energy drink on the planet, Monster Energy. It's the ideal combo of the right ingredients in the right proportion to deliver a big bad buzz that only Monster can. Monster packs a powerful punch, has a smooth, easy drinking flavor. Athletes, musicians, co-eds, road warriors, metalheads, geeks, hipsters, and bikers dig it. You will too. Monster Energy is more than just the green OG. Monster has Monster Ultra, Juice Monster, Monster Hydro, Rehab Monster, Dragon Tea, Monster Max, Muscle Monster, and many more. Buy on Amazon, buy on Walmart, or go to monsterenergy.com and believe me, you'll find a place. Unleash the beast. Monster Energy. Pull up um, the Twitter oh, and then go to the picture. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, let's so, go through some of these pictures and explain them to us. So because, this uh, picture, we were stationed at a preschool, and the kids uh, in this town were evacuated because it's very close to Gaza, and the teacher uh, left us a note on the refrigerator, and it said, to our dear guests, thank you for protecting us. May God bless you and protect you. And she drew a picture of a, some dove and Israeli flag with sincere gratitude. This really touched us. You know, she knew we were firefighters. She knew we'd be in the fridge getting food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she knew we would see it. <laughs> so she put it on the refrigerator, and it was just very touching. It oh, was yeah. Really nice. It was a really nice Yeah, picture. you got to go back. If you go back to one I day and find, her, find you know, her, I would, would love say, to go hey, find thank her. Thank you. Because I bet that meant a lot to the oh, guys, right? Incredible. Incredible. There's yeah. pictures of us sitting on the little chairs. They got all these big guys were sitting on the little kids' chairs. It was really funny. You know, something like that note, I see why it's so important, you know, now that I have a little a child. You know, to write that, yeah. that, that sticks with you. And then 100%. that, I could see how that would make the whole trip and the bombs and all 100%. the shit worth it all. Because when I saw that, that little girl oh. or boy, you know, wrote that note to you. Shit. And when they evacuated those kids, even their backpacks were still hanging up on the racks. Hmm. So the kids were basically scooped up and just shuttled out of there. Their backpacks, papers were still on the desks. Like it was like they got the hell out of there in a hurry. And a note like that just, that just really that touches touching. me. Just to thank you. you it's know? very touching. Yeah. It's very touching. Congratulations. Thank you. And this picture was at a fire we fought. Uh, there was an IDF base. This was um, a and when fire. When you say that IDF, just so everyone so knows. The Israeli Defense Forces. Okay. This is basically the Israeli military. Okay. So this was on one of their bases uh, near Gaza. There was a fire and. Um, we went to the fire, and that's me uh, getting some. You know, I'm just giving it hell on this fire. How heavy is that hose? Roughly? Um, so this they consider this like three inch hose. We would consider something this like this, like an inch and three quarters. And they use a little bit different systems, but it's it's when you're holding it for we fought this fire for two hours, <laughs> <laughs> so it's not even that it's that much pressure. But when you're holding it for long periods of time, with all it gets on. very heavy. <laughs> it gets really, really, really heavy. So this was after a ro uh, a rocket attack, and we're standing right in front of the crater. You can see there's a car behind that was right. hit by the rocket. So the family that lives here, they were almost killed. 
the rocket uh, alarm system, the pre-alarm system went off and they hightailed it from their car into their house. <laughs> and about five seconds later, the rocket hit. The, you can see the crater standing yeah. right behind Derek Barksdale there. He's uh, the guy in the brown. So the, the crater is right there. It hit right there. And you can see the shrapnel on the side of the buildings, like yeah. where the shrapnel hit. Yeah, on that. Yes. So two people were injured. Yes, you can see all the strap. That's all the, the shrapnel. So two people were injured and taken to the hospital. No one was killed, thankfully. But what I found was really interesting is Israel has like a whole civil service of people that like uh, if there's a rocket attack, people will leave their jobs and they have their little vests and helmets and they just I go, seen to, that. go, they go clean up mm-hmm. and everything. Yes, yeah. they go on scene and there were yeah. people like sweeping up in the streets. There were city workers already there getting ready to fill in the hole. There was a guy measuring the window that was blown out. They're going to go fix the guy's glass window. Like someone was measuring. Like they're not already like, like. What's the odds that would happen here? I was no. just going to say, not <laughs> saying you hope something like that would happen here, but sometimes was, you're like, man, if 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 this happened here, would people actually it would take, get together? It would take two years for that street to open back up. Yeah. And I guarantee you, within two days, this this street right. looked like it never even happened. Right. There was already like the guys getting ready to mix the plaster to 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 fix all of the the holes from the shrapnel. They were sweeping up. Because they don't it was incredible. divide every which no. way, no. everything, you know? Some people had on, like, orange vests. There were people with blue helmets. They, they just showed up. But everybody and, was together. Everybody was together. Yeah. And we got there in about 10 minutes, and there were already 40, 50 people already there. How about that? It was incredible. Now, that's an amazing that's thing That's an incredible. Say. You know, that's something you remember forever. And that's Aton. So there's a little yeah, alert. That, that one you don't want to see again. <laughs> oh, there's an Israeli tank. So they use the same Abrams tanks as we have. It's just a different version, but that's one of their tanks. It's very close. That's your gear, yeah. That's my gear on the on the truck. This now, was after a rocket here? attack. And where's that at? Uh, this is going to be in, I believe this is in Ashkelon. And, how, and when that when that hits, how, how much damage does that do? Like, say, mile-wide. damage. Like, mile? Um, I mean, the, a rocket goes off. It depends on what it hits. You yeah. know, if it hits something that's flammable, well, it could, there catch, could be a secondary explosion. Yeah. So it's just, it's incredible damage and just the psychological damage also. That, you yeah. know, psychological damage. Me in Jerusalem with my friend Sharon. Hey, Sharon. He's one of the, uh, he's one of the shift leaders in Jerusalem. This is in Sterot. So this was like ground zero where the uh, Hamas uh, barricaded themselves in the police station for about 10 hours. I don't know if you heard that story. No, tell me so about that real Sterot. quick. So in Sterot, which is really, really close to Gaza, which is where a lot of people were killed and kidnapped, um, 10 uh, Hamas terrorists barricaded themselves in the police station. Oh. And then wow. when the IDF came in, they, they fought them for about 10 hours and were able to um, eliminate them. But this is at the steroid fire station. So they were telling me on October 7th, the guys were stationed there. They're, they're like right on this road. The terrorists were like walking up and down and they were driving back and forth in trucks. Yeah. They were just barricaded in the station and they were fighting them. I mean, it was like right there. It was it was crazy. So I in 2018, I was actually stationed in steroid. So I was stationed here and I know these guys very well and um, they're tough guys and they were fighting these guys. They had handguns. These guys had RPGs like rocket propelled grenades and rifles and the firefighters were armed and they were fighting them. I was going to say the firefighters became Marines real quick, you know, well, everybody there serves in the army. So they have training. So this was in Jerusalem. These were two IDF uh, police officers that same day, about an hour after we took this picture, a person from their unit was actually killed by a, a, a 16-year-old uh, Palestinian boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a knife attack killed 
a female uh, IDF police officer about an hour after we took this picture uh, from these these girls unit. They're in the same unit as the person that was killed. Uh, so it's, it's how, how terrible. Sick is that? You're brainwashing a 16 year old kid to think he's doing the right thing. That's what I'm saying. And he was you know? he was shot and killed by a um, by a, 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 a bystander shot and killed him. Well, I hope they go find his family. You talk. And this is uh, Shmulek Friedman and Abbas. These are some of the leaders of the Jerusalem district. Very, very good friends. Good for them. This was in Jerusalem. We're up high up on a one of the ladder trucks. It looks real modernized. Oh, it's very. Oh, yeah. And and beautiful. So when we were up there, we were probably about a hundred feet up. And when we got up there, I was like. Hey guys, what happens if there's a rocket attack right now? I was like, can we go <laughs> down, please? What was like, the answer to that? Oh, you know what? Good idea. Let's go down. <laughs> Let's go down. So we went down. What was the weather like? It was very hot. You know, it's the hot. desert. It was hot during the day, kind of cool at night. Um, and it rained there uh, one of the days. And I started laughing because I was like, wow, it never rains here. I was like, hey, um, when was the last time it rained here? I was talking to Arif Abraham. He's like, oh, it rained here probably in April. Oh. <laughs> Wow. Well, now, now does that affect missiles and attacks or anything? No, not really, but it it's very dry. Up. So when things catch fire, like the brush, uh, it, oh, it's, it's very, really very, very, a mess. Very dry. But it, it, doesn't, doesn't very often. it doesn't mess up that anti-missile thing? No, not at no, all. That's too good for not that. At all. It could work in the rain as well. And so here's my, all your These guys. are my boys in Jerusalem. A lot okay. of good friends here. Good for them. And then this is some guys uh, from our um, third deployment. So I was the team leader of the third deployment. So you've got people from the EVP. You've got a guy from uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, some guys from Miami Beach. Who else is in there? Everyone there risking their yeah. life. This guy's from uh-huh. California. Yeah, guy from Idaho. Mm. So, yeah, we had a good representation of people. And this was a Humvee. This was when we were in Sterot. They were headed towards the front lines. This is a Humvee full of um, IDF soldiers. And there's no doors on that? After a rocket attack. They don't have any doors because... They may have to rock and roll at any That's moment. That's an Audi, a yeah. Mazda, a Hyundai. And it's after a rocket attack. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, the guy who had the Audi might not be too happy no. when he walked out. And the life's just... So this is me at uh, one of the Ford stations. Uh, the IDF would come there all the time for you ice the, you to the pick the up food. De- you have the Denzel Washington. I was just going to say. I was just going to say. <laughs> Denzel Washington. Happy-go-lucky. AJ turned yeah. into uh, Denzel, Terminator. Yeah. Denzel. Denzel, yeah. I was in a very serious mode. Oh, you were serious. Picture, uh, I've never seen you look like that. No, never. Never. That's how I usually uh, see it. Right. me and my boy. Yeah. He's in charge of all of the uh, fire planes. Oh, wow. That's a big responsibility. Yes, he's in charge of all the fire planes. And now where is this? This was after uh, a fire uh, that we fought. Some of the guys wanted to take some pictures. Uh, funny story, there were uh, like some, some top secret unit was <laughs> was at a uh, position kind of where we were. And there was a fire we were fighting. And afterwards, like, hey, um, are you an American? I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, yeah, can we take a picture with you? And I was like. I thought you guys were some top secret, like, you know, special forces unit. I can't take a picture with you. Go, go, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. I'm like, I'm going to end up in some Israeli group. Right, right. Taking pictures with these top <laughs> You showed their face. <laughs> with these top yeah. secret guys. I was like, no, guys, come on. I go, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. But that's like the Israeli mentality. They're so laid back. I love that. So friendly, I love it. But it was great. They all wanted to take pictures with me. Uh, yes, and this is me with Michael Balaban. So he's with the Jewish Federation of Philadelphia. Ran into him at the Philly, airport. Yes, Philly, yes. Yeah. He's the, yes, he's the Jewish Federation of Philadelphia president. It's him with his wife. What's up, brother? I ran into him 
at the airport. Did it? When I got there. Yeah. yeah, so it was nice to see him. Really good. So this is pictures of us at the preschool where the note was on the refrigerator. Aww. So that's us like sitting in the little chairs. Mm -hmm. You yeah. can see us all like it was really funny. You got all these big guys in and we're sitting in these chairs. tiny little chairs. I look at We're sitting in these tiny little chairs. So it was really funny. And, and then this video. I think is the last one. This is a video of that fire. Thank you. Oh. And you just spray and spray. It took us two hours to put out this fire. Two hours, huh? Took us two hours. Coming off this thing, it's really hot. Now, at this time, are you concerned another strike is coming while you're doing this? It could be. At this point in the process, I just like have accepted my fate. Yeah. And whatever happens, happens at this point, just because you just have so many calls and you're just so busy trying to do the job that you're not even worried about it. But yeah, a rocket attack could have happened at any moment. Man, that's just... Could have happened at any now, moment. Now, do you have bad dream? Like, do you have flashbacks of the sounds or anything like that? No, no, no nothing like that, because I'm, I'm already very good at compartmentalizing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to figure out what the name of these guys. Um, and, you know, had you been there longer? I mean, I can't imagine somebody that stays there, say, three months, doesn't have some type of, you know... Yeah, I think that people could be affected... Uh, no, there's no doubt. People it depends be, on the individual. It's an person. individual. I think that I'm just very battle hard in myself. You know, I'm very good at strong minded um, compartmentalizing and it, things. And, and as sad as this sounds, did you see? Did you see death? Did you see any? 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 Yeah. 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 So, um, there you were some the, uh, Instagram for the firefighters. Yeah, there were some really uh, tough calls. One of the first calls I went on, there was uh, a woman who committed suicide. She had some family members that were kidnapped, family members that were killed. She just had a baby. And I think she was dealing with some postpartum issues and she hung herself and a call came in. So we go to her apartment and she's there, um, uh, dead hang. She's, she hung herself and there's a baby in a crib, uh, you know, just sitting there and her family had called for like a welfare check. They were trying to get a hold of her. So that was one of the first calls I went on and I was like, yeah, this is going to be a really tough tour. This yeah. is going to be tough. I mean, the woman's just sitting there and her baby's there crying mm -hmm. and it was tough. Then we had a car uh, flipped over on someone and they were pinned under the car. It was a car, just a regular car accident. So even though there's a war, there's also routine regular calls. Right, right. Regular, the regular day people shit, just so, leave yeah. something on the stove and it catches fire. So we had, uh, till before 10 o'clock, we had the suicide by hanging. We had a car flip over on someone. They were trapped. That person died. We had a gas leak at two huge apartment buildings. We had to evacuate gas leak? Mm, Huge gas good. leak call. <laughs> and we had a structure fire. An apartment was hit by a rocket. All before 10 a.m. Day one? Uh, this was probably like day day two. That you were two and there. a half. Yeah, by, by two and a half. And I'm sure that was probably when you were like, yeah. okay, this okay. is way this worse is, than what yeah. I thought. Oh, yeah. I'm here. Uh, that's when I started to sort of realize, <laughs> like, all right, I'm not in Kansas anymore. What yeah. did I get myself into? This right. is going to be nuts. Uh, I'm not laughing at you. I'm just no, laughing no, at sure. the severity no, sure. of it. Just, you know, bring light to a very But I will say, situation. the moment when I realized that really, I'm not sure what I got myself into <laughs> is when, on that second day when those 11 rockets were fired at us and... We're sitting in the bomb shelter. There's probably like 15 of us, and it's a tiny little room, and we lock the door. Boom, it's this 25 inches thick of concrete and steel, and we're all huddled in here, and we can hear the rockets going off over our head as the Iron Dome is intercepting them. And I turned to my buddy, who was from 
Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I said, okay, now this was not in the brochure. Come to Israel. It's going to be an adventure. Like, come on, come to Israel. It'll be fun. I'm like, we're huddled in this room, like trying to avoid being rocketed. Yeah, is there and, a couple things you forgot to mention? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like, this bullshit wasn't in the brochure. So let's give a shout that out. That was when I started to realize that. Uh, uh, that this is serious shit, yeah, right? This is serious. This is really serious. Plantation Fire Department. Yeah. On, this is our uh, Instagram. Instagram. Page. Check them out. Yep. There's AJ right there. So well, yeah, tell us about the trophy. So, Congratulations, yeah. thank sir. You. Thank Quick you. So I was I was nominated by the Fire Chiefs Association of Broward County for um, Humanitarian of the Year, and and I received that award last week. So it was it was quite an honor. I, I felt like yeah. there were probably other people who probably should have gotten it. I don't really know if I did anything to deserve it, but I was I humbly accepted the award, and uh, and I really did appreciate that. Well, as I know you, I, I'm sure that that was you and your team. Although you're the, you're the one handing it. Sure, you know, sure, yeah, sure, you know, sure. Congratulations, I, to all you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. As a team leader, I, I feel like it was, uh, you know, it's a team effort. We're all in it together. We had guys all over the country. We had people in the north. We had people in Jerusalem. We're people in the south. So we had guys who were doing a great job, and and really, I accepted that like on their behalf. So. Yeah, check out their Instagram, support them. Doesn't matter where you're at, support. Absolutely, we appreciate that. And then go to uh, AJ's Instagram, scroll down. You got more AJ with good old Robin. Yeah, I was with Robin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's me and Oren. Uh, this is us. Uh, I, I had just got, I was probably in the country about the third day in that picture with Oren there, that, that one you just passed. And there's me at the White House. I'll actually be back at the White House in a couple of weeks. And, and tell us about the Tesla. Oh the, my the Tesla, God. Yeah, you gotta end it with that. How much time do you guys have? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a Tesla guy, which means I'm probably more annoying than <laughs> vegans and CrossFitters. <laughs> no, there's no way. And I have Can't a funny. Be. I have actually have a funny joke. I'm like, do you know anybody who owns a Tesla? Oh, don't worry, they'll tell you. You know. <laughs> so Tesla, I'm a Tesla guy now, and uh, I'm a big fan of Elon Musk. I think the car is just incredible. I like to use the self-driving and it's just an amazing car it's really fast uh and i just really enjoy the car so it's a lot of fun yeah like you said before i was like no way no way and then i got yeah. it and i said okay <laughs> yeah way yeah way tommy yeah, was way. in the car for about five minutes he goes you know what i take it all back everything I, everything bad i said about tesla i take it back and then i go to aj's car. website it's a great car Next one. There, there we go. go. Yeah. So tell everybody what, what you're doing if so, when you speak. So yeah. yeah. So uh, you can go to AstonBright.com and find out some more information about me. I do a lot of speaking at um, at schools. Uh, I speak at fundraisers. I speak for the Jewish Federation of North America. I speak for the Jewish National Fund and many, many other groups. I was just honored at the menorah lighting at the city of Plantation by the Kabad of Plantation. Congratulations. So I have a lot of synagogues and Jewish day schools and regular secular schools, private schools. I, I do a lot of speaking. I try to educate people about the firm and unbreakable bond that the United States has with Israel. So I try to spread that message, try to counteract some of the misinformation that like you see on TikTok and some other things, because there's a lot of people who don't know the history. They don't know about the deep connections between Israel and the United States, Israel and the black community, Martin Luther King, um, and Rabbi Herzl were very, very good friends. So I like to share. Some yeah, Martin stories. Luther King was. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very read close that. with the Jewish yeah. community. Ten days before he was assassinated, mm -hmm. most people don't know this. He was at the National Association of the Rabbinical Assembly in New yeah. York, talking to a hundred rabbis. Uh -huh. Ten days before he was killed, people don't know that. They don't know how close he was with Rabbi Herschel. So I try to educate folks. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. I educate people, and I tell those who doubt what I say, don't take my word for it. Go to Israel. 
Just go there. Go and see it for yourself. You think it's an apartheid state? You should go there. It's a functioning democracy. It's a functioning democracy. You want to see apartheid? Go into Gaza. They haven't had elections in 16 years. It's a dictatorship. That's unbelievable. It's a dictatorship. Women can't leave the house without a, a family member, a male family member. LG, being LGBT is punishable yeah, by death. You think that Israel is the problem? No, they're a, they're a democracy. They've had women uh, prime minister. They have a woman prime minister. They're, so if you're gay, they kill you. That's kill punishable you. By just death. for being gay. Right. Yes. Wow. Yes, it's punishable. Right. That's then, fucked up. But then it's there's crazy. signs. People with signs that say queers, queers for Palestine. Palestine. Yeah, they're, they're nuts. They they're would last five years. So wow. I just try to educate yeah. folks. I'm not trying to convince anyone anything. I'm a humanitarian. I'm a fireman. I'm not a politician. So I don't like to get into the politics of any of this. I just know that when you call for help, I'm coming to help. And, that's what and you're giving to. all the information that you can and hoping that people listen Absolutely. and then form your own opinion. You're not trying to make anybody's no. opinion. I'm not, if you want to support Palestine or support uh, the Palestinians and whatever. And by the way, this is the most important thing. And I say this at every speech I do, especially when I'm talking to big groups of like people who donate to like APAC and all these other groups. And I speak for APAC as well, that being pro Israel does not mean you're anti-Palestinian. I, I try to make Say sure that again, understand please. that being pro Israel does not mean you're anti-Palestinian. I support, and I want everyone to turn on your tape recorders. Okay. I support the self-determination of the Palestinian people. I think it's important for them to have their own state where they have elections and every few years they can choose a new direction with the country to go. And they have and women have equal rights and they can go to school and they can live just like anyone else. Like I think that's important. So I like to say that children, Palestinian children should have the same opportunities as anybody else. And these are the things that I fight for these are the things when i talk i try to educate folks on so we can change things and we can make things better to tr try to get peace in the middle east which is something that we've all been chasing for about three thousand years so hopefully someday we can figure this out even just kind of get along right? right even just kind of get along they don't have to get along all the way maybe just like 40 50 percent yeah just like away that. from a football field away <laughs> right i would take 40 50 percent how much longer does this go on for do you think until it ends i think that this is different. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a permanent ceasefire unless Hamas is removed from power. And again, I don't speak for the Israeli government or anything like that, but I this is what they have been saying, right. that based on these attacks, they can never allow Hamas to stay in power. I think they're going to... I don't think this is going to end until Hamas is gone. Flattened. That's just my, that's just my yeah. opinion. Hamas, not the Palestinians. The Palestinians Correct. will be fine. They're just trying to get rid of Hamas, get rid of those t the tunnels. There's 100 miles of tunnels. That's more tunnels than under New York City, you know, a city of 12 million people. Uh, there's about 2 million people in, in, um, in Gaza, by the way. They have about 100 miles of tunnels, 100 miles. So instead of building schools and hospitals and hmm. providing uh, resources Build for their tunnels. people, they were taking that money and building tunnels. But correct me if I'm wrong, all for this day. Well, well they've been building them for 16 years. Uh, they've been using them over time. But yeah, I think over the last probably two years, they've been, prepare been preparing for this stockpiling weapons because they knew they would be blockaded and they wouldn't get anything in you know, new. But I found it interesting that they were running out of everything except rockets and guns. <laughs> <you know? laughs> they were saying they're out of medicine, they're out of food, they're out of gas. But they had plenty of rockets. They didn't seem to be running out of rockets. Hmm. It sounds to me like they're going to have to level those tunnels at some point. Like, do the best they can, at, I guess, being gentle. Listen, and then at some point. War is hell. This is why you don't start a war. And this if is why anyone has any issues, they got to take it up with Hamas. Hamas started this. 
Israel's fighting a war that they didn't want, they didn't ask for, and they didn't want. And they were trying to make peace. They were trying to make peace. There were, the Abraham Accords, the Abraham Accords were going well. Yeah. There, uh, people were signing on to them, and hopefully that can continue. And uh, I do hope to see the Palestinian people have their own state and, and a way that can live as a peaceful neighbor with Israel. And this mm-hmm. was the last thing I saw. I saw it yesterday on the news or the day before that uh, Juno Beach, where the pier's at, they built a menorah for the, the holiday. And uh, that night, someone went there and destroyed the entire thing and put a swastika on it. Yeah, that's and they ta- just they terrible. just rebuilt it uh, yesterday. Oh, uh, fantastic! But, but I'm, yeah, so. I'm glad that the uh, uh, Sandcastle people came and fixed it. But that's yeah. absolutely disgusting. I think that one of the that things we have to know is that it's uh, rotten. We have to be uh, the light in the darkness, you know. And one of the reasons why. I went to Israel because I was trying to shine my light bright and to remind our friends in Israel that they're not alone in this, that we stand together with them. And and one of the most difficult things for me to hear when I was there was this, this woman came up to me and she's like, you know, you're an American. Like, what are you doing here? Everyone hates Jews. You know, why would you come here to help us? <laughs> and I didn't even know. It caught me so off guard. And I honestly didn't know what to say. I said, well, you know what? I guess we're all Jewish now. You know, because we're here and we stand with you. And she just couldn't believe it. She gave me like the biggest hug. And uh, it was just a, it was a great moment just to know how much impact that, you know, the 65 Americans who went over there uh, really made in, in, in showing solidarity with our friends and to make sure that they knew that they were not in this alone. And we are here to help them. Yeah. One of the and we're best. here to help the Palestinian people as well. So I, I always don't want that to be lost in my message. One of the best videos I saw was on uh, on one of the social sites and it was a uh, they were putting up uh, missing people missing in yes. Israel, uh posters in New York City like on the light poles and people were ripping them yes. off yes and there was a construction worker pretty big it's a dude like, I would fuck with him like he looks it's a great legit. video and the guy had ripped it down he saw him dude he says what the fuck are you doing yeah Good and the guy and he goes he goes I'll give you an ass whooping right here, right <laughs> the fuck it, now it's a great video why are you fucking touching that why are you fucking touching that and the guy said something he goes it doesn't fucking matter. You don't fucking touch that shit. And, and the that guy, great. you could tell the guy was scared shitless. He went like white. It was great. It was, it good, was great. Good video. That good. construction guy was all over the media for that. All so, right. yeah, they were tearing down the posters. When you when you get into Israel, they actually have posters of everyone who was taken in the airport. So as you're coming in, it shows you all of the people who were taken. So how could you? Rip I just that hope down. that I mean, even if you hated the I'm seventy. Gosh. Um, 70 hostages have been released, and I'm just hoping that um, the remaining 170 uh, or 180, however many are left, uh, get released. So I'd like to ho- also keep the hostages in mind and, and hope that they're um, they're released and they're safe. So that's such a tough thing with the hostages. Mm. You know, how, how long can you wait? You know, tough, before right. you just got to do what you got to do. It's very, very, very tough. And like you said, that's why you don't start a war. That's why you don't start wars because war is hell. And Unfortunately, um, you know, the Palestinian people, their leaders started this war and now they're alone for the ride. Um, same thing happened with Nazi Germany when Hitler started a war. The German people were alone for the ride and uh, places got firebombed. Uh, it's just war is hell, which is why you should never start war. We need peace. We yep. need peace, not war. So I agree. That's how I'd like to end it. Yep. Thank you for peace. sharing everything with us. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you real soon. And Absolutely. You know, have fun at the White House. And yes. don't get too cocky there, buddy. <laughs> 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 Next thing you know, he's going to come in 165 ripped. Yeah. Right? You know, <laughs> contact, <laughs> contact my agent for me to come uh, yeah, in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, I'll come in. But, uh, you know, contact my agent, <laughs> Andrew. Yeah. All oh, right, buddy. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Tommy. Rob, appreciate it. Great to see you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it.